Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Good morning, everybody. I've got a confession uh, this morning. My name is Libby Talbot, and I am a consumer. In fact, I am a material girl living in a material world. I like my stuff. Um, I like to buy beautiful things for my house. I have an iPhone, it is a couple of years old, but I have an iPhone, I have a second-hand car, I go on holidays, I catch the train, I catch the bus, uh, I love a sale. I love a sale. Uh, I buy food and I buy clothes, mostly clothes, mostly from charity shops in Stockbridge, I can highly recommend them. I love colour-coordinated Christmas decorations as well, and I particularly love shoes. If you are a consumer like me, perhaps just turn to your neighbour, say, hi, my name's Mark or Libby or whoever you are. I'm a consumer. Do that for a moment. Brill, uh, I heard noise, therefore, uh, we are consumers. We are all, con I'm not the only consumer in this world, in this church, thankfully. We are consumers and we live in a consumer society. Uh, one definition uh, from a research website I was reading this week says this, a consumer society is one in which the entire society is organized around the consumption and display of commodities through which individuals gain prestige, identity, and status. That sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? When we think of the world that we live in today, that's quite a familiar thing. We live in a consumer society where the display of commodities through which individuals gain prestige, identity, and status. So we are consumers, whether we're okay admitting it to the person next to us or not. We're all influenced by this huge force of the consumer society, which is constantly shaping us and influencing us. 
As a child, until about the age of nine, I only knew that children's programmes existed on the BBC. In fact, I only knew that the BBC existed. Uh, and then one day when I was about nine, I was around playing at my friend's house and I found a whole other channel on, the t on her TV called ITV. And I couldn't believe it. And, and I asked my parents, why didn't I know there was this other channel called ITV? And it was because part of the reason, uh, well, part of the reason was because they, they thought they were lower quality of programs for my, uh, myself, but also um, they also didn't want me to be influenced by the adverts that were between the children's programs on ITV. The world we live in today is very different from that, isn't it? Uh, my children, as well as having access to multiple uh, TV channels, uh, my nine-year-old uh, watches a Minecraft person on YouTube uh, called Preston Plays, P-L-A-Y-Z, uh, and he is a YouTuber, and uh, Finian loves to watch Preston Plays, and YouTube is covered in adverts. But the thing that he desperately wanted was a Preston Plays uh, sweatshirt. He had an Amazon voucher, not any real money. He had an Amazon voucher for Christmas. He found the Preston Plays uh, sweatshirt on Amazon. He put in the little code on the back of the Amazon card. He pressed buy, and the next day, his Preston Plays Minecraft YouTuber sweatshirt arrived. He calls it my merchandise. <laughs> Today we decide that we want something. Uh, most of us uh, are able uh, to just press a button and purchase it. Or worse, we might actually have to get on a bus and go to a shop and choose something and buy it that way. Or even worse, we might have to save and wait to buy that thing we want. But in the world's terms, we live in the Western world, the industrialized world, and we are supremely rich, not just in terms of the money that we have, but the availability of goods. We can basically get whatever we want, whenever we want. We're surrounded by unaffected and exist in this consumer society. And we all know uh, the, the negative impact of excessive consumerism. It can cause addictions. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who gets an endorphin rush um, when I get that shiny parcel through the post and I open it and I get that thing that I ordered on Amazon or whatever it was. Or when I go into a shop and I find and eventually buy that new top that I really, really wanted and I get that rush as I walk out of the shop with bag in hand. I can see how shopping, buying stuff, can become an addiction. It can also cause family poverty. I was talking to a teacher from our church recently who works in a more deprived area of our city. 
And she was saying that there are kids in her class who do not have a good diet, who do not come to school uh, with uh, the right uniform on, but they come wearing expensive Nike trainers on their feet, carrying the latest iPhone. Our culture has so associated stuff with identity, acceptance, belonging, and ultimately happiness. Getting these status symbols causes some to experience poverty in some of the key areas of life. And then on a bigger scale, excessive consumerism is one of the major causes of world poverty and the environmental crisis that we're in at the moment. I was reading this week that if the industrialized nation of the world, nations of the world uh, agreed to a 20% drop in living standards for one to two years, it's believed that the problem of world poverty and the global environmental crisis could be significantly impacted. And on Thursday, uh, the UK government's chief environmental scientist declared that consumption must decrease if we're uh, to reach the target of halting greenhouse gas emissions in the UK by 2050. That means that we must use less transport. We must eat significantly less red meat and buy fewer clothes. Those three things he was saying will significantly impact on the greenhouse gases that we emit as a nation. Even though the level of consumption is unprecedented in history. Uh, the pressures and the temptations are really just the same old, same old with new clothes on. This is not all new. The negative side of consumerism, temptations, the addictions, the pressures associated with desiring and gathering stuff, in order to bring identity and status and perceive happiness. All those things are just another form of idolatry. And we know that idolatry has been around since the beginning of time. Early doors in the Bible, there are warnings against idolatry. The first and second commandments, we know them well, uh, make it clear that God's expectations are that we are to worship him have no other God before me. And then secondly, do not make for yourselves false idols. It's pretty clear, Exodus 20. And then all through the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel, we find, wander away from Yahweh uh, to a lesser or greater extent. Their attention gets diverted from the one true God. They end up worshipping idols, and it doesn't always end well for them. And then Jesus comes along. And he speaks clearly about the dangers of loving money, making money an idol. And then Paul, in his letters, spends huge chunks of those letters encouraging Christians to live for Christ. When things are, they're surrounded by a culture, a pagan culture, which is pulling them away from following Jesus as their one true God, warning them about the pressures and the temptations that they might face. And then here in our passage from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, we see Jesus facing the sorts of pressures and underlying temptations around identity and status, 
that are prevalent in our consumer society today. So let's look at that passage in a bit more detail. Firstly, the first temptation that Jesus faces is around identity. Verse 3, the devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you really are as great as you claim to be, then you would do this. Maybe it sounds familiar. If you want to be this person, if you want to fit in, if you want to be accepted, if you want people to believe that you really are who you claim to be, then you need to do this, or you need to wear this, or you need to look like this, or buy this, or have this phone, or have this house, or go on these holidays. If you really are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And we know that Jesus could have done it, but he knows his identity is not in his ability to do shallow tricks at the command of the devil. Because only hours before, Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, and heaven was ripped open, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, and the Father declares, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus' identity is found in his relationship with his heavenly Father and the Spirit, not on how he's viewed by others, not on his ability to do the miraculous, or how he can stand out from the, a crowd. His identity is in his Father. Now, as many of you know, and I've already admitted this morning, I like shoes. And it's quite ironic that I was going to talk about shoes this morning, because as I stepped out of my car uh, just out here this morning, the sole fell off my shoe in a rather dramatic fashion. I wasn't quite sure what to do. So I rummaged around in the caretaking cupboard and I found this. It's amazing. Uh, instant spray contact adhesive. I don't know what it's for, but it attached my sole back on my shoe uh, this morning. So if that ever happens to you, uh, you know where to find it. But I like my shoes. I like my shoes. You're all looking at my shoes this morning. I chose them especially. Um, about seven years ago, though, uh, someone commented uh, that when they, uh, they looked forward, when I came into the church that I was working at at that time, not this one, uh, that they always enjoyed seeing what pair of shoes I was wearing uh, when they came to the service. It was a pretty, you know, straightforward, simple compliment. But after that, I found myself spending uh, an inordinate amount of time before a service thinking about the shoes that I would wear for that service. After all, I had a responsibility to the congregation uh, to keep them entertained by the shoes that I was wearing. But it was ridiculous. Because sometimes I found that I was spending longer obsessing about the shoes that I would wear than actually praying for the service that I was about to lead. And I had to really call myself upon it. My shoes are completely insignificant and actually who I am as a child of the king how I live my life for Christ whether I'm pointing people to Jesus that is what matters I wonder what your equivalent to my shoe thing might be would it be your job impressing others in what you do how you look, your sport, 
being popular, money, having impressive holidays, or very well-behaved children. One of the emphases of this Freedom in Christ course that we were mentioning earlier is knowing and being secure in your identity in Christ. And this is the basis for everything else in our lives, knowing and being secure in your identity in Christ. When I know, like truly know, so that it impacts every part of my life, that I am God's child, that I am forgiven, that I am complete in Christ, and that ultimately I'm a citizen of heaven, not of this earth, the list goes on and on and on, there are about 40 or 50 in the Bible, then we're able to face with confidence the temptations that surround us, uh, to put our identity in other stuff, stuff that is not Jesus, whether that's our belongings or our house or our clothes or how we look or our job, because we know then that our identity, our status, our position is as a forgiven loved child of the king. And secondly, we see that the devil tempts Jesus with power and with status. Verses 5 and 6, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I will give it to anybody I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, it's, I, I think this verse is almost laughable, that the devil thinks that Jesus, of all people, might actually believe his lie that all kingdoms belong to him, and he has all power and authority uh, to give it away. But what is behind this temptation is so real for many of us. Because what the devil is offering Jesus is status, Status that comes not from his identity as the Son of God, but status that comes from celebrity, that comes from power. (coughs) In one recent survey of a thousand young people aged 13 to 19, one in ten of them said that their dream job was to be a YouTuber, an Instagram star, a blogger, or a video game creator and this is my best bit, most expected to be earning at least 70, the equivalent of at least 70,000 pounds by the time they are 30. There's gonna be some seriously disappointed 30 year olds around in a few years time. The devil says to Jesus, if you worship me, all this will be yours. If you worship me, all this will be yours. Are we, are our children, our grandchildren, the young people here in our youth group, the kids in our classes if we're teachers, the children that we influence being tempted to worship this idol of status, of money, of celebrity, in order to attain what they think will bring them a happiness and identity? And Jesus answers the tempter with these words. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Which raises massive questions for us living in this consumer society. 
It makes me think, who am I worshipping? Who am I serving? What do my children or the children that I influence in some way think is most important to me? What do my non-Christian friends or my family or my colleagues at work, what would they say is most important to me? When they look at the choices that I make in my life, the way I spend my money, what I talk about, who or what would they say I worship? And then thirdly, there's a temptation to clip the claws of the lion. Do we clip the claws of the lion? In verses 9 and 10, the devil takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple and says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command the angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Trust in God. It's what we're called to do. But it isn't about stupidly doing something to see if God will truly rescue you. Jesus knows he has the power of God to bring about resurrection and to bring about renewal, not to do cheap stunts. And so he answers the devil uh, with these words, verse 12. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Sometimes, as Christians, we can fall into the mentality of, if you can't beat them, join them. We can assimilate ourselves to the culture that we live in to the nth degree. And then we can justify ourselves by making the Bible say what we want it to say. And that is exactly what the devil is doing with Jesus as he throws scripture at Jesus as he tempts him. And some of us do this by convincing ourselves through a misinterpretation of scripture that following Jesus will always mean that we'll have a good job, or that we'll always be free from debt, or that we deserve material wealth, because after all, God wants to bless us with good things. But the Bible never says that. But neither does Jesus condemn wealth, but he does speak powerfully about the responsibility that comes with wealth. The responsibility that those of us who have money have to share it with those in need, of not making it an idol for ourselves, and of the dangers of storing up treasure on earth, when actually what we should be investing in is treasure in heaven that will last for all eternity. Some of Jesus' teaching on money and possessions is pretty hardcore, especially in Luke's gospel. And as with other things, we can fall into a temptation to sanitize it, to make it more palatable, to make it work for our desired lifestyles as people who live in this consumer society. But writer and Christian social activist Shane Claiborne speaks of how the whole gospel is uncomfortable. And as Christians, we have to avoid this tendency to, as he puts it, clip the claws of the lion. We're to avoid clipping the claws of the lion, to make the Bible sound more palatable to our Western sensitivities. 
If we're followers of Jesus, then we're called to bring our whole self under his authority and his lordship. And that's what we mean when we talk here at P's and G's about being whole life disciples. And so that means we bring our identities, our temptations, our shopping habits, our finances, everything under Christ Jesus' lordship. We're called to bring the whole of our lives, including our consumer habits and our money, into conversation with scripture. And so we need to be wrestling with some of these big questions as we reflect and read God's word. And you won't know God's word unless we read it. How do we consume in a way that reflects what it means to follow Jesus? Maybe a good conversation starter at your lunch today. How do we challenge the negative side of consumerist society? And how as a church do we speak into society in a prophetic way, offering space for people to explore alternatives? So maybe just some suggestions for a way forward in this. Firstly, consume in conversation with the Bible. Read the Bible every day if you can. Make it a new addiction. Find out what Jesus really says about this stuff, about consumerism. And then bring your life, bring your views, your consumer choices into conversation with the Bible. Consume in conversation with the Bible. And then secondly, think about what are your values? What are your habits? You might want to literally ask uh, yourself or discuss with your family or a good friend or your connect group, what are the values? What are the habits that are driving my consuming? Are they in line with following Christ as a whole life disciple? What changes might I make as an individual, or we make as a family, or we all make together as a connect group to challenge our consuming. It might be cutting out red meat from your diet. It might mean making some energy or transportation choices. Just because it's there doesn't mean we have to use it or buy it. Just because it's there doesn't mean we have to use it or buy it. And then where is God challenging us to be a prophetic voice? Where does he want us to speak prophetically into our consumer society? It's not about condemning. This is not about making a placard and standing outside your local Sainsbury's or the big Amazon thing out at Falkirk with a big placard. But it could be about modeling something different and life-giving, and gospel focus that brings freedom from the bonds of debt, or that speaks hope and liberation into all the fears and all the anxieties that are associated with our consumer culture. And then maybe we need to ask the Holy Spirit to renew this aspect of our lives. The gospel of Jesus is all about resurrection and renewal and hope. It's not about misery and abolishing things. We should ask the Holy Spirit to renew us, to renew this aspect of our lives and our lives together. And as we do that, he might call us to make some difficult choices, to make sacrifices, 
to change our spending habits or our giving habits. He might call us to lay some stuff down or give some stuff up. So we're to consume in conversation with the Bible. Think about our habits and our values. Where is God asking us to be prophetic? And are we ready to ask the Holy Spirit to renew us, to challenge us? Maybe he'll ask us to lay some stuff down. Should we stand together? I was, as I was uh, preparing uh, this, I was thinking about how when revival happens uh, across the world, revival happens when individuals' lives are renewed in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we're not ready for Christ to re- renew every aspect of our lives because we want to hold it all. And I think especially with our stuff, it's a quite a big deal, isn't it, for us living in the society that we live in with the expectations that are all around us. But if we're to pray for God to revive our church and our land, then we need to start by praying that God would renew us as individuals.